Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Once again, I'm hoping you're having a wonderful morning or evening or afternoon whenever you're listening to the podcast. We want to set a little context still. This is still early May in 2020. The coronavirus is still with us. It seems to be wearing down or waning down, but that may be just a perspective. We're praying that everything opens up in the world to be back to a more normal state. I don't like to use, I think I've used it once before, I don't like really to use the term new normal. We're in a different season, and the season is going to change again. We can be assured of that, but that's the context of why we're going to pray some of what we pray today. And especially, as you know, if you've heard, these are for the people who may listen in the future, far from now, and may want to have a little perspective on why we're praying what we're praying. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. We do thank you again for your abundant goodness to us. We thank you that even if there wasn't anything else to rejoice in, we could rejoice in the fact that we're saved, we're going to heaven, and that this season, this earthly season, is not our home. It's not how things are going to be in eternity. And indeed, we cling to the promise that there will be no more tears, We do confess our weaknesses, Lord Jesus. That's why you came and that's why you died. We're not ashamed of those weaknesses. We glory in our weaknesses because that shows your strength even more. We pray once again for this virus that is in the world, hitting different parts of it in different ways. And we would pray again for your power to end it or your providence to end it through the medicine of man, the really smart people that you have created, that in your providence you have created them for this hour to end this virus, to teach us something as a species maybe we didn't know that we can use in the future, but most of all to teach us that we are not in the kind of control that we thought we were. So we are praying, Lord Jesus, that you will lead many to you, One of the things this virus teaches us is that we are sheep, but we have a good shepherd. So help your sheep that haven't been in the fold yet or aren't in the fold now to get into the protection of eternity through our good shepherd. Use this time, Lord, for that eternal purpose. Thank you. We're praying also for the podcast today, Lord Jesus, that we are going to look at your power and your providence. We thank you that we know you are leading us. Even as we may go through the valley of the shadow of death, when we look up, when we lift our eyes, we see our shepherd, and we know that your goodness and your knowledge, your power, 
Your omniscience lead us to the very best places. We know from your word that thou art good and that thou doest good. So we know however you're leading us, you're leading us there by your providence. Help us to keep our eyes on thee, whom we've never seen, through that very providence. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your blood shed on our behalf. And we commit this season and this episode to you. And to you, Lord Jesus, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Welcome again to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the host of the podcast. One of the things during this time, this season, this Rona season, that I am struck by, again, is the people of God who I know are suffering right now. And in many, many ways, two tragedies I heard about just this week, the death of a baby and the death of a man in his 80s. I believe, by God's grace, that babies are ushered into heaven. And so it's sad and yet glorious at the same time. And the man that I'm thinking of accepted Christ just a short time ago. So that's a glory as well, because we know where he is now. But there are people suffering in ways that we have to keep moving ahead. I mentioned earlier, much earlier in the life of the podcast, of an interview that I heard with John Piper and John MacArthur. During that interview, John Piper mentioned the fact that sometimes... As he's getting ready for bed, he prays truly, sincerely that he won't get up in the morning. And that is part of our burden in trusting in you, is we know when we're at the end of our rope, or seemingly so, and we would love to go home, that it's not your time to take us home. And so as I hear these people and see their struggle, the people that I know intimately, my spirit's moved to try to be, in a small way, an encouragement and to strengthen those souls that are hurting. Because I know that hurt, and I know that struggle. First of all, by encouraging prayer, and by the truth of God's Word. And we prayed, especially today, but we prayed for God's providence, because that's what we're going to look at. And all these that we're going to talk about now and in the future, especially as they pertain to prayer, began in my soul, seeking encouragement and comfort and peace. And that's why I'm dedicating these, asking God to use them to uplift the spirits of others, especially weak souls like mine. And we are going to look in various and sundry ways at the idea of providence and prayer in the future. It is an exciting truth for me. It's, it, just, it just is exciting. And it gets deep down into my soul. And it gives me the encouragement, and hopefully it will give us all the encouragement that we need in our flesh because of this fallen world. And much of my discouragement has stemmed from an underdeveloped knowledge of the providence of God. So we're going to start that today. And like I said, we'll weave these through the rest of the life of the podcast as the Lord wills. Today, though, we want to look at the definition of providence. We're going to find the Fred definition and then a definition from Martin Lloyd-Jones. You already know which one's going to be more sophisticated. And then we're going to look at the purposes of our prayers, even in the face of the providence of God. So we're going to center on my simple definition, and then we're going to look at two biblical examples of illustrations of God's providence. 
And in a little treatise that Martin Lloyd-Jones did on the providence of, of God, he had this paragraph. He had a bunch of paragraphs, but he had this one in particular that I want to read. And I'm quoting, Then another great argument, as we have seen, is derived from answers to prayer. If we did not believe that God controlled everything, there would be no point in praying. We would not pray for sunshine. We would not pray for rain. We would not pray for health and for the control of disease. Prayer, in a sense, would be ridiculous if we did not believe in the doctrine of providence. And that is why deists do not believe in prayer. Pantheists do not pray. There's no purpose in it. But those who believe in the doctrine of providence obviously pray because the very idea of that doctrine immediately leads to prayer. Unquote. Pretty powerful words. And those words were written a long, long time ago. I believe he died in 1981. And I was just struck as I was reading when it says we would not pray for rain, we would not pray for health and for the control of disease. We just prayed that. That just struck me just now. But we prayed that at the beginning of this, didn't we? And we pray those things because we believe in the doctrine of providence, that God has control. So for this episode, I would like to make the proposal that of all the positive goals or desires that our souls have, they are found in reliance through prayer of God's providence. The results we seek all stem from our view of our need, our reliance, and God's providence and the power of prayer. Peace, joy, contentment, faith, deliverance from fears, being blessed in our souls, hope and all the rest, visa, as Edward would say, flow from our conscious and sometimes even our unconscious view of providence. What we believe in providence, that's God's working in our behalf. Well, we'll see that here in a minute, the definition. But peace can only be apprehended by our hearts, minds, and souls when we understand that God is in, a, in control of everything. And if there was anything that was out of his authority, we may wish, and we could wish all day long, especially in unexpected circumstances. But we can never truly have full peace if we don't believe that he's in control. Things may never get better, but we know they will because of God's providence, at least in eternity. Joy, with the randomness of life, the things that happened all around us, the sorrow that we see, the sadness, the scariness that we see, joy wouldn't be possible except for circumstantial moments in our lives. If he wasn't in control, our rejoicing would be a sham. Contentment? And we've all said in our lives, if only this were true about my life, it would be perfect. If only that was true. If that person hadn't done this thing to me, my life would be perfect. If I had more money, if I had better luck, if I wasn't, in my case, fairly stupid, the people around us have failed us sometimes. And we could go on and on and on, and we do. If God wasn't in control, how could we be content in any of those circumstances? And because all of them are true at one point or another, contentment would flee. Deliverance from fears? Without the providence of God, bad things would only lead us to bitterness. Because of the providence of God, we can say with David in Psalm 118, 
The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Men can do certain things to us, right? But because God is for us, those things are under God's control. No matter what happens, the knowledge of God's sovereignty and providence lets us set aside all bitterness. Because again, we know not only is he in control, but he's working things out for our good and for his glory. And hope of all things, without God's control, what would we be hoping in? Again, it would only be a wish or a dream. Those things, as Dr. Jones said, lead us to prayer because we believe God is in control, even in our eternal life. You've heard this over and over again on the podcast, and you will many times, as God wills in the future. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. What a ridiculous prayer that would be unless Paul believed in the authority and the sovereignty of God. Now, for the Fred definition, providence is God directing for his children the events, people, words, every single thing, every single circumstance that we can think of. Before it happens, it is under his direction to bring about his perfect will for our lives. And that's one of the reasons, remember, our chief end in prayer, our chief goal of prayer is to conform us to the will of God. And that's one of the reasons we can join with Jesus when he says, not my will, but thy will be done. We can truly pray that because we want his will, because we know it's perfect for us. And it will bring us the joy, the peace, the patience, the maturity that we need, that we long for, that our souls long for. He's going to bring those to pass. So again, my Fred definition is God directing for his children particular events, people, words, and every circumstance before they happen to bring about his will for us. And as we think about the future and as we think about what may be happening in this moment, as that young family that I alluded to a little earlier who lost their baby this week, as they are facing what's going to happen and we all face those things in our sojourn here. Our comfort comes, again, as we are relying on his will and his ability to bring it to pass. He's going to do what he intended. Now, just a real quick outline for the next couple of episodes, maybe three. We're going to see God's provident in the life of Abram, and then we're going to look at an example that I ran onto and kind of what spurred this short series three prayers that I began in 2014. And we're going to see, hopefully be illustrated, to see how God's providence fits together, providence fits together and makes us trust him and trust in it and view our terrible circumstances or our frustrating circumstances. And remember, I tried to coin the word, am trying to coin the word, terrific, which at one at one time was a, der- a derivation of terrifying, but now it means to us, or terrible, and it means to us now something good. And that's the way those troubled times are for us. We look at them, they look terrible, but God brings them out so they end up terrific, working for our good. And we've talked about that before. 
For today, however, along with the definition, and I don't think I included Martin Lloyd-Jones's, but I will. It's a little more detailed than mine, but I will in the next one. What we're going to look at today, however, is we're going to illustrate this work of God, this providence of God, through two circumstances, biblical circumstances. And the two circumstances are undeniably similar with very dissimilar and dramatic solutions from God. And they result in two different paths for the glory of God and the purpose for each of the men involved. So we're going to begin in Acts 12. And in Acts 12, we find Peter in jail. The intention of the authorities is to kill him. They've already killed Andrew, and it pleased the people of Jerusalem. And now they have Peter, and they're going to kill him for preaching the gospel as well. And we read in Acts 12, 1 and 2, actually 1 through 3. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during these days, during the days of the unleavened bread, so Peter was in jail. We're also told in this chapter that there are people praying for him. And as he's in jail sleeping, he's not worried. He's pretty much trusting in the providence of God, probably whatever the end is. But as, he's, as Peter is in jail sleeping, if you remember, or you can look at the passage, an angel comes actually kicks him awake and gets him released from prison. Once he's released, he rejoins the people praying for him. You'll remember that's kind of a humorous story as well. They can't even believe that their prayers have been answered. But with that, there's kind of a hubbub around. And so he leaves town. So 12.18 reads like this. Now, when day came, it was in the middle of the night, Peter was, rele uh, was released, which is going to be one of the similarities. Back to the verse. But now, when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And he, that's Peter, went down from Judea to Caesarea, Caesarea and was spending time there. So Peter, released from jail and his death sentence, hustles down to Caesarea, and he was ministering for a time down there. Now, for our purposes, let's jump forward to Acts 16. 16.22 says, And the crowd rose up together against them, and this is Paul and Cyrus and his group, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison. They were pretty important. That's my quote there. They had to be in the inner prison. And he fastened their feet in the stocks. So here now Paul and Silas are in prison. There are undoubtedly people praying for them. Paul was forever asking for prayer in every letter that he wrote. And so we can assume on pretty solid ground, I think, that people are praying for Paul. And about midnight, well, let's read it, 1625. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I'm going to throw this in here real quick. I would imagine that the jailer had been preached to by Paul. He was always doing that. And now, 
Paul and Silas were preaching through their singing of hymns, hymns of praise, and they were being listened to. And so you might be thinking, God does everything pretty much the same. So an angel's going to come and let Peter, uh, Paul out. That didn't happen. At about midnight, there was an earthquake. And the earthquake was so powerful that not only was everybody shaken, but the stocks were shaken loose and the prisoners were released. Now, the Bible doesn't say God caused this earthquake. That'll be key in a couple of minutes. But the earthquake happened. Everybody was shaken. The prisoners were set free. The jailer wakes up, realizes that the prisoners have been shaken free, believes everyone was running away, and so he decided to kill himself. Again, read the story. And then he hears Paul shout out that nobody has run away. Everybody stayed. So we have two apostles in prison, one released by an angel, one released by an earthquake. The one released by an angel took off. The one released by the earthquake stayed. And we see the unfolding of God's providence. It was purposeful because he had two paths for each of these apostles to take. Peter took off, released by the angels, didn't want to be in danger anymore, or God didn't have it for him to be in danger right now. So he took off, ministered in Caesarea. Paul, on the other hand, verse 27 of Acts 16, it reads this way. We're going to go through 33. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights, that's the jailer, called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour, that very hour of the night, and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. God had a plan for Peter in a different city. God had a plan for Paul right now, right where he was. He didn't run away because he had stuff to do. He had a couple of things to do in Philippi. And again, I do believe the jailer heard the gospel before, probably when they were being booked. I can't imagine Paul was being booked for this crime, fingerprinted or whatever, however they did that in those days, that he didn't tell the jailer who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. And then he heard Paul and Silas displaying the gospel, being those lights that shine forth for the gospel by singing praises to God and praying, evidently out loud. So the jailer realized this God that Paul served spared his earthly life, right? He didn't die in the earthquake and he didn't kill himself. And if you remember back in Acts 12, the reason this jailer was going to kill himself was because he would have suffered the same fate if those prisoners had run away. He would have been led away to his execution. And it probably would have been more painful than him falling on his sword. It would have at least been in the flesh more less embarrassing to fall on his sword than it would be to face his failure and then death. 
And so the jailer, realizing the true God, the holy God of the universe, saved his physical life, then entrusted his spiritual life, his eternal soul, to the God Paul preached. God's plan, God's providence, was for both Peter and Paul to be released from prison. The gospel wasn't going to be held, and it wouldn't have been held anyway. But these two men were the two main leaders in the church at that time. And God had a plan for them. And so he let one by an, free by the hand of an angel and then said, get out of town for a while. And to the other, he said, you stay put. You've got work here to do. And the jailer was saved. So an angel sent by God and an earthquake timed by God. In his providence, the angel was under his control and the timing of the earthquake was under his control. Again, it doesn't say he caused the earthquake. It just happened. But guess what? God knew it was going to happen. He knew where it was going to happen. He knew the results. And so he had Paul and Silas arrested in just the perfect time so that they would be able to accomplish his will. God's power and his providence could have done things both the same way. He didn't have to change his plan, except he had a different purpose. And in each case, through an angel and through an earthquake, through running and through staying, the plan of God was displayed to maximize his, maximize his glory and to accomplish his will. To me, that's so great. We've said before, God is not a cookie-cutter God, and he doesn't have the exact same things for all of us. And we wonder sometimes why he works the way he does. But we can be assured whether he sends an angel or an earthquake, he's in control. And when we think about the providence of God, we learn from James in James 1 that we need to rejoice in our trials because verse 4, and let endurance, the fruit of those trials, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's a term of maturity, the perfect there. Trials mature us. We learn from Paul in Romans 5 that we rejoice in our personal tribulations. And in 5.3 of Romans, well, Romans 5.3, Paul says this, And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and a perseverance proven character, and a proven character hope. James 1 tells us we'll be mature, complete. Paul tells us we'll have proven character, and that results in hope. And then lastly, from the writer of Hebrews, or lastly in this string for this moment, and the writer, the writer of Hebrews says that God's sorrowful discipline, his painful, sorrowful discipline, brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In fact, the quote from the verse is, Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And you ha and I have experienced, at least in our salvation, early days of our salvation, the peaceful fruit that came from knowing we're righteous. And as we mature, and as those trials, those terrific events that start out so terrible, as they mature us and prove our character and perseverance, cause those things, we finally understand the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And there is little that's better than that. And those are foundational truths. Trials, tribulations, and discipline are foundational truths. And we can add to those Psalm 84, 10 and 11. 
for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And the word goes on and on. Those promises go on and on. But take just a moment and ponder if God was not in complete control and did not have an intentional providence over all of these things, they would be absurd on the face of them. God is no less than the holy God of the universe. And when we pray in faith, asking for everything that's on our hearts, and we pour out our souls before him, and we request what our hearts desire, part of our prayer is always the revealing of his will, especially through his divine providence. Paul says if there's no resurrection, we are to be most pitied. 1 Corinthians 15. And I can't help but thinking, if God is not in control and we pour out our souls before him, maybe that's another reason that the world should pity us. The good news is, though, the great rejoicing is, though, he is in control. His providence is set before us. We saw it with Peter and Paul. And we're going to see next time some pretty revealing things about Abram. Abram in one of his most notable failures, and we're going to see what it teaches us about God's providence. After that, we're going to see how God's sovereign power uses four of the most devastating circumstances in life in general to answer three of the most important prayers in my life. Prayers begun in a moment of complete desperation. The good news is, my beloved friends, that as we pray, God is in control and his providence is leading us to the comfort, the peace, the excitement, the fulfilling of our purpose in him for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your providence. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and grant you his supernatural peace which can only come when we, re- when we rest wholly in his divine providence. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, Make it a godly, fun-filled day.